If you would take out your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4 this morning. As you probably have already noticed, yes, Pastor Jeremy is here, and yes, I am not him. Amen. <laughs> Some of us have the uh, grace to be from Kentucky, but that's okay, so that's all right. That's okay. Pastor Jeremy knows me better than I know myself, and now I also know because of that, this will be the last time I stand before you here this morning. So. Amen. <laughs> But I do want to thank Pastor Jeremy for what he has done here as a, as a member here at Ashland. I want you to know that uh, it would be so easy for Pastor Jeremy to say, I am the pastor, it is my duty to preach, and it is my duty to equip the saints for ministry, and I do that through preaching primarily, and that is all true. Uh, but what you don't see is the countless hours he spends investing in young men who will be one day sent out to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be church leaders, to be lay leaders. Uh, it's because of that investment I stand before you here this morning. There are dozens of men in this congregation who could be here because of the effort that he puts into that to say it's not just about me and my ministry, but it's about God's word and that word going forth. Uh, one of the best things he can do is to preach the word to the church, uh, but also to equip others to do that as well. Uh, so again, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 4 this morning. Uh, if you would stand in reverence for the reading of God's holy and perfect word, uh, we're going to read the first few verses of the chapter and then skip down and read the end of the chapter. God's word speaks to us this morning and it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. God, as we turn our attention to this text this morning, Lord, to, to, may we take a moment and pause and see all that you are showing us. May we Understand, Lord, that you are a God who calls us to stop and to be reminded of your mighty hand. But Lord, not just to sit there and be reminded, but to also declare all that you have done to the very ends of the earth. God, we pray that in this time that you would challenge us, that we would see you more and love you more through this text this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Dada, what's that? Hey, Dada, what, what that say? Hey, hey, Dada, what that mean? You see, we get all kinds of advice as parents who are about to have children. If you have had kids or you know family members who have kids, you know that once the word is out that you're expecting kids, 
there is a long list of unsolicited for advice, and some of it is good. But we hear all of these things, but the one thing that, the, that I don't think I was prepared for was how many questions I would be asked ad nauseum every second of the day. I have a toddler who is like his mother who is very curious. And so that means anything that he sees that he's not normally seeing or anything that he sees that he doesn't know what it is, the questions start rolling in. And it's about every little thing. All hours of the day, it's almost even in my sleep now, I hear, hey, Dada, hey, 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 Dada, what's that? Hey, hey, Dada, what, what's that mean? Hey, hey, Dada, what, what's that say? And I'm thinking, is it too early for a two-year-old to go ahead and learn how to read so I don't have to answer these questions anymore? And so you can read it for yourself. You can see what it says. But every single day, every second of the day, he's just curious and he wants to know, what does this mean? What's going on? What's happening? So sometimes I decide I'm going to try to be a good parent and answer those questions and be patient with him. And so we try to build in times around our family where we, all, we anticipate the questions and we just go and answer them before they come, which doesn't always work because then there's more questions. You see how this goes. A few weeks ago, we're setting up our Christmas tree. And like most families, we have ornaments that... You know, we got it at the Dollar Tree, or somebody gave us a white elephant gift exchange, or, or, or some of them that are homemade and have been in the family for generations, and some that were on my grandparents' tree that are now going to be on my tree. And so we wanted to take the opportunity to tell him about some of the ornaments we have. And, and we're hanging them up, and he asks, hey, what's this one mean? Hey, hey, what, what's this? Who gave you this? What's the story here? As, as we're hanging these different ornaments and talking about what these things mean and talking about our family and our history and just some funny stories, all of a sudden, my son stops and he looks at me and he says, hey, guess what? And I thought, oh no, here comes another question. And he just looks at me and says, I love you. And let me tell you, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> We come to this text in Joshua, and central to this text is children asking the question, what does this mean? And learning, what does it mean? We come here, and we, we are now on the other side of the Jordan River. For 40 years now, Israel has wandered once they left Egypt. They were supposed to make this a quick trip, but because of their sin, they had now wandered in the desert for 40 years until the rebellious generation before the Lord was cut off. Joshua is now in command of the people. Moses has died, and Joshua takes the tribe of Israel up to the banks of the Jordan, and he says, there's the promised land. We just got to cross this river. Now, at this time of year, and Joshua 3 reminds us, and later in Joshua 4, we're reminded as well that the Jordan River is in flood stage. It says the water is exceeding its banks. So this isn't like going to the creek in the backyard and just hopping across. This is a large body of water, strong, moving water that can easily sweep you away, that can come over you and drown you. And now here we are. We've wandered for 40 years, and there's, there's this... On, on the other side, there's this land called the Promised Land. For generations, these people have been told, what does this mean? What does the promise mean? Remember that Abraham was wandering. Abraham was just out in those fields one night, and God called him and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great tribe one day. Through you, all of the nations of the Lord will be blessed. And he said, I'm going to give you a land beyond the Jordan, and makes all these grand promises. And, and Abraham says, Okay, that's great, but I have no children, I have no son. And in case you don't know, time has passed. I'm about 100, my wife's about 90. 
God said, it doesn't matter. I want to show the nations that my hand is mighty, not yours. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. And so he begins to call Abraham, and he makes this promise to Abraham, and then his, his son Isaac is born, fulfillment of that promise. And then God asks Abraham, would you sacrifice Isaac? He, he calls him to do it, and at the last moment provides a lamb to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And then we have Jacob, Isaac's son, Abraham's grandson. And, and Jacob rises up and has 12 sons. One of them is a son named Joseph that, that his father has favorite. Now, parents, I won't ask you who your favorite is this morning, but apparently we all have them. It's okay because Joseph was Jacob's favorite. But his brothers knew it and they were jealous of him and they sold him into slavery. But even through that, God worked. What they had meant for evil, God had meant for good because Joseph goes down into Egypt at a time of famine. Joseph rises and becomes second in command. And through God's providence in his hand, Jacob and Joseph's brothers are hungry. They've got no food. There's famine. But they hear there's food in Egypt. And wouldn't you know, the person in charge of all of it is their brother Joseph. Now they don't know this at the time until they go and they beg for Pharaoh's mercy and they just hope that they will be gracious to them and share some of the wealth and give them the food. And Joseph says, do you not know who I am? He finally reveals himself to them and the brothers are afraid and they're terrified. And he said, no, God put me here to bring you here, to care for you. And so the whole family moves into Egypt. And as time goes on, Pharaohs forget Joseph and his family. They see this large nation and they think, we want to build some pyramids, and they'd be really great to build them. Or we want to do fill in the blank, and they say, there's our workforce. And they enslave the nation of Israel. And you think God might have forgotten his promise, but God parts the Red Sea, brings up Moses, calls Israel out, and they go and cross the Red Sea, and now they're in the desert, and they get to the banks of the Jordan, and we see we're on the cusp now. We've been told for generations and generations and generations, there's a promised land for you. It's just right over there. But there's lots of inhabitants. And Joshua gathers the people and says, God will deliver them in our hands. God is going to make his name known. This river, we're going to cross it. We're going to take the land that God has promised us. Joshua had faith in that, and so it comes in chapter 3, they cross over the Jordan, and we get to chapter 4 here after seeing that. And it sounds like something odd here. Verse 1, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, You, you see, as I'm reading this, you go, Do they not have spell check or grammar check when they're typing this out? There's a lot of repetition here already. Twelve men, twelve tribes, twelve men, twelve stones. You, you see all this over and over and over already. This chapter is filled with repetition, as we're going to see, and it's there to point us to something. It's saying twelve men from the people, twelve tribes. Take up twelve stones. Place them there. Remind yourselves. Place them there. Joshua said to the people, Pass on before the ark of the Lord into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to, the, again, the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be the people of Israel memorial forever. They cross over, and you would think, if you had seen what just happened, 
you're standing on the banks of a flooded river. And all of a sudden, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as their foot touches the banks, the water's cut off. As far as they can see, north to south, the water is cut off and the ground is now dry. That's a sight we haven't seen around here in about three years, I think. It's dry ground, but maybe we can still imagine what it used to be like. But here, Israel is about to walk across this river. They see the walls of the water. The water has been cut off. What seconds ago would have utterly destroyed them? What would have drowned them and swept them away with no more mention of them in their history? Now they're walking across on dry ground. You'd think something like that would be pretty memorable. But yet God still says, Joshua, you need to remember this moment. And to help you remember this moment, and to help your future children remember this moment, we're going to set up a memorial. Twelve men, twelve stones, twelve tribes. Again, we see this, this number repeated and repeated, and it's reminding us of something here. Notice it wasn't, as each of you cross, pick up a rock and keep it in your pocket, be your pet rock for the rest of eternity, and you'll always remember this day. No, it wasn't grab one stone, remember it. It was twelve because of the 12 tribes, because of a community in which the promise was made. It's a reminder that God is saying, this isn't just about you. This wasn't just about Moses. Moses is dead. Moses didn't get to see the promised land. It's not just about Joshua. It's not just about the priests, but it's about the whole tribe of Israel. It's about the whole blessing of all of the nations that God has promised. He says, this isn't just about you. It's a reminder that we need to be in community. Dr. Moore says of this passage, he says, we're talking about the communal aspect here, he says, God does not save us alone. God does not sanctify us alone. God uses one another to build up the body of Christ. As God forms that community, he demonstrates simultaneously that you are not alone, that also you are not God. God uses the community around us to sanctify us, to edify us. God tells Joshua, there are going to be times when you think that I've forgotten the promise. There may be times where you forget all that I have done. And again, we step back and go, are you kidding me? We just saw a river stop flowing. Hey, why are your parents not in the promised land? Why are your grandparents not in the promised land? Oh, that's right. They walked across the dry Red Sea as it was parted and then immediately built an idol to worship. It happens. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the fold of God. We sing the song, Come Thou Found, all the time. It's true. We're prone to wander, prone to leave. And God says, I am placing in front of you a memorial, a reminder that I will hold my promises, that I will deliver what I have said that I will do, and that you need others to remind you of that as well. So we look around this morning and go, okay, well, where's our sign? What are we thinking? Where are, where are we on the banks of the Jordan? Where's our pile of stones? Look around this morning. We went through 1 Peter a while back. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2 says, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. We take some time at this time of year, usually it's towards the end of the year, start of a new year, and we want to step back and make lists of what we want to do better, all the things that were good, and we want to remember that. It's appropriate to step back and look. God calls us to do that, even this morning in this text. He says, just, just stop and look for a moment. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? 
When your children in this congregation look around and say, hey, who's that? That's looking back by the Jordan and seeing 12 stones and saying, let me tell you who that is. As we look around this morning, there, there is such an amazing monument to the memory of God's hand at work. We stand around this morning when we are reminded of God's goodness in this church. Every time we have a parent congregational prayer covenant and this floor is filled with families with new children. Mother's Day and Father's Day, we put those videos together and the kids say some silly stuff, some of them sweet, some of them fun, about what they love about mom or dad. About every time we do that, I notice my wife almost starts weeping. And the first time I thought, oh gosh, what happened? Who said something? And she just looked and she said, do you know how many of those children shouldn't be there? She doesn't mean because they're misbehaved or, or because we haven't seen them for a while. What she means is, do you remember how many of those parents we wept with because they were told they would never have children? When the doctors told them, if I said you didn't have any chance, that would be giving you too much hope. We wept tears of sorrow with them and then cried tears of joy when they told us we're pregnant. And now they're siblings. How many families have had children brought to their home through adoption and through foster care? And we're reminded every Sunday when we walk in here, they shouldn't be here. We didn't do that. God did that. God is blessing us. God's hand is mighty. God is gracious. God is loving. God is caring. We didn't do that. This morning as we walked around shaking hands, now for some of us that is the most feared time of the week. We think, uh-oh. Pastor Jeremy or Dan's getting up, Clay's talking, that means green time's coming. Oh, look at that, I need a coffee refill. Oops, uh, I think I just heard my kids. I need to run out of here real quick. We don't like shaking hands or being touched or talking to people. This morning, you look someone in the eye who maybe in the last couple of years, the last time you saw them, you held their hand on their deathbed or what we thought was their deathbed. And now you held their hand this morning and looked them in the eye and you said, isn't God good? Isn't God good? I didn't do this. I didn't save you. He brought you here. All of these countless things we think of marriages as we look out this morning, there are people that you may not know within the last few years looked at their spouse and said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. It's over. And they came to the church and they said, we don't want to do this anymore. And the church said, we're going to love you. We're going to counsel you through this. And now this morning they stand together holding hands, singing hymns and praising God. You want a sign of God's goodness? You want to see what it looks like in the promised land? Look around this morning. That's our reminder. We are placed here as living stones to the testimony of God's goodness for one another week in and week out. When you don't feel it, when you don't feel God speaking to you, when you don't feel like you should read your Bible, when you think I'm just praying and it's bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to me, when you don't think you can go on, Here's your 12 stones this morning. God has brought us here. God has done this. When your children ask you, why are we going to church? Because I want you to see that the hand of the Lord is good. Because I need to be reminded that the hand of the Lord is good. Some of us, we want to run away from the church for fear of judgment. We think, I know that building, the roof ain't that strong. If I walk in, it's caving in. And we think, there's no way I'm going. But again, we're reminded, it's not about you. It's not just about you. This is the place you need most when you want it the least. 
That's usually a sign, and I know I'm, I'm speaking to people who are here this morning, but in your heart you may not be here. The times you want to be here the least are the times when you need it the most. God is reaching out and he's putting people in your life to call you back to him. Repentance is no fun, but restoration is good. Repentance has to precede restoration. But God calls us out this morning and says, look around. Look around. You think you shouldn't be here? You're right. I'm probably the least likely person to be here this morning. I know what my heart is like. I know who I am on the inside. I know what God has saved me from. That's the same story for every one of you this morning. That's why we gather together and we say, isn't God good? We've crossed the Jordan into salvation and we are reminded week in, week out, isn't God good? God calls us, Joshua here, and the people to remember the goodness of God, that he holds his promises, that what he speaks is true. He who promised is faithful. Good and true. Text continues in verse 8. It says, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. Again, they're not just saying, Oh, yeah, Joshua, it sounds like a good idea. You do it. No, they're, they're actually doing it. They go, they get the stones, they place them according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Again, we're reminded this is a literal people, this is a literal group, this is a tangible object of faith. Just as the Lord told Joshua, and they carried them over with him in the place where they had lodged and laid them down. And Joshua set up the twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. Again, we see it's what God has said, what God has said, what God has said, what God has done. Moses didn't do this. Joshua didn't do this. They couldn't hold the Red Sea back. They couldn't hold the Jordan back. But they were able to walk in and pick up stones from the riverbed and to place them in the place that God had promised them generations ago. That when they were enslaved, they thought they would never see. That when they were wandering around with their parents in the desert, they thought they wouldn't see. But here, faith has become sight. They're being reminded, God is good. God is faithful. Notice here they were happy to get there in verse 10. It says, The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over before the people of Israel. As Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And you notice, as we've read so far, it seems like it's the same two verses repeated over and over and over and over. And they walked into the river. Okay, they grabbed stones. Okay, they put them on the side of the bank. Okay, we get it. We get it. What's going on now? What's happening next? And here we see they passed over in haste. And again, it's happening, but now there's a new detail mentioned. Again, it's mentioning specific people, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Why does it single them out? If you remember, these are the ones who went to Moses and asked Moses, we remember what God said about the promised land? But Moses, we're looking around on this side of the Jordan River, and it's pretty good for our, for our livestock. Can we just stay here? And Moses responded and said, is that fair that you get to stay here while your brothers go off to war? Because your brothers are crossing the Jordan. They're going where God has promised. Is it fair that you stay? 
And they said, you know what? We'll go and we'll fight before them. We will cross over the Jordan before them. We will go to war with them. We will fight with them. We won't stop. We won't sleep until the promised land has been fully given into our hands. And then when it is, can we come back here? Moses said, so it shall be. So we notice here against these specific people, they are grabbing, they have men as representatives going into the Jordan, picking up a stone and placing it on the side they won't dwell. They are passing over before the Ark of the Covenant, swords in hand, ready to go to war. Because they're on a mission. God says, I brought you here on a mission. There is a mission at hand. As the church looks around this morning, it's not just time to sit back and step back and go, wow, look at all that God has done. Although that should happen and we should do that. We've got bigger things coming. We've got more work to do. We're not just stepping back and saying, whew, finally outside of the hands of Ashland Lexington. Uh, you know, Pastor Nate is great, but he's a little crazy sometimes. I don't know if you spent time with him. I, I, I'm glad we can be friends now. But, okay, we're, we're outside of that. Or, you know, let's just be honest. This group of people in this church looks a little bit different than the one in Lexington does. Uh, the, the culture is just a little bit different. Let, let, let's just say in Madison County we have a way of doing things that Lexington doesn't do. Some might say we're a little more redneck. Okay, there it is. That's fine. We relish that. We like that. And we think, man, we finally got it just the way we want it. Guess what? We ain't stopping. How many times have we been reminded this month about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and those that we have in East Asia, Western Europe, South America, New Orleans. Churches are being planted through what we're doing here. We are going forth into battle against darkness every day. We may think we have crossed the Jordan going, woo, we finally made it as a church. We're not sitting back now. We got more work to do. We're going to keep on going, keep pressing on until the ends of the earth know the mighty hand of the Lord. The text continues in verse 15. And notice again, it's going to sound, well, we, we've heard all of this before. We have heard this again and again and again. Verse 15, And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests to come up out of the Jordan. When the priests bearing the ark of the covenant uh, came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed at all of its banks as before. Again, a reminder, now the priests are out of the Jordan. They've crossed over as well. We go back to flood stage. What seconds ago was dry ground, now you got to get the sandbags out to make sure it doesn't hit the front porch. Again, to see the power and the mighty hand of God. And again, what happens? We need a reminder because we're going to forget this day. You're going to forget to tell your kids about it. You're going to need a reminder. Verse 15, or excuse me, verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Again, a specific time, a specific place, and a specific people. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, again, you all can probably recite this back to me now. We've said it enough. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, Dada, what does mean? What do those stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. It's not just an amazing uh, geographical or, or climatic event. No, God fulfilled his promise. 
We're not just saying we walked over on dry ground, as amazing as that is. Son, these stones mean God is faithful. Daughter, these stones mean God keeps his promises. That's what this means. This is for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Oh, and that's not the first time he did it, for it's as he did at the Red Sea as well, when he brought us up out of slavery. Did I tell you about how we got in slavery? Let me tell you that. We thought the promises weren't ever going to come true. We were in bondage to Pharaoh, making mud bricks all day in the hot sun to build pyramids. But you see that? That means we made it to the promised land. That means God kept his promise. And he'll do it again and again and again and again and again. And again, for us, we don't have a stack of stones this morning. We look around and we say, God kept his promise. We look at each other every Sunday morning and say, God is faithful. Do you believe it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He has brought us thus far. By his help we have come. He is here. He has done it. Why did he do it? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And again, we sit back and we go, we have heard this 1,500 times already in 24 verses. Again, there's, there's repetition here for, for a specific purpose. We read this over and over and over. And we hear it over and over and over. And I've told you over and over and over. Hey, look around. God is good. God is faithful. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I'll bite. I'll take it. Israel saw a sea parted and a river parted, and they still needed a sign to be reminded of the goodness of God. You know what? I'm here this morning. I see these people. I know these people. They will tell me that God is good, but I don't know that He is. You don't know the week I've just had. Christmas is good for a lot of folks, but you don't know my family. You don't know that I can't go home to see my family because of things that have been said or things that have been done. You don't know what it looks like on January 1st for me because they're shutting down the factory tomorrow. How do I know that God is good? Where's my sign? Can I get a sign from God? And yeah, it's really easy to say, well, look around. Here's your sign. Here's hundreds of signs. Which you might be asking, I, I get it, I get it, but where is the sign that God loves me? Where is the sign that I get? As this is being written in Joshua and talking about the stones that have been set up, Daddy, what's this mean? What do these stones mean? There's another sign that's being talked about. God knows the question you have when He says, but if I could just see a sign. In Luke chapter, uh, I forget where it is, in Luke, God, Luke 16, 31, there it is. God tells them, says, if he, if he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. They were asking for a sign. He's going, well, sometimes you're not going to get it. But here is the sign. Do you want to know what it is this morning? There's not just a stack of stones we look at, a large congregation this morning. You want to know how you know God is good? Because there's one other stone we haven't talked about yet. We sing about Rock of Ages. We sing our hallelujahs. But there's a stone in Jerusalem that's not where it should be. There's a stone in Jerusalem that was rolled away. And you didn't do it. There's an empty tomb with a stone that should be in front. Where there should be a body. 
of a man who was crucified, who was hung out like a dog to die and was cut on his side until water bled out because there was no more blood. He was dead as dead gets. Placed in the tomb. You want a sign? That tomb's empty. See, as we're talking about crossing over the Jordan, crossing over, God often uses the image of water to discuss what judgment looks like. He flooded the earth in judgment. He covered Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea in judgment. He, he covered the earth, and again, water means judgment. He says here, the ark of the Lord passed through in judgment for you. It's not just looking back at a pile of stones. See, when the children asked the fathers of Israel, Dad, what do these mean? They didn't just say, well, you see that, son? We used to live over there, but God brought us here. Isn't God good? No, he's saying, you see that back there? We used to live in slavery and in bondage to sin. But one day, God is going to send someone who will be the rock. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, upon that rock, Peter, I will build this church. One day, son, there's going to come another. And these 12 stones, it's not going to matter where they are. It's not going to matter where they're standing. Because he's going to be torn down as a temple and he's going to rebuild it in three days. You see, yeah, God has brought us into the promised land, but one day he's going to take us into heaven for eternity with him through his son. That's the rock we're looking at. You want to know what it means? It means God keeps his promises and that means even to the promise that he is going to cover our sins for you. Not just the people in Israel, not just those standing on the bank of the Jordan. For you here this morning, your sign is a cross that has been torn down, a body put in a grave that three days later got up and walked out. There's a stone that stands in Jerusalem now that cries out, he who promised is faithful. God declares from the heavens this morning, I love you. I have passed through the waters of judgment for you. The ark, the presence of the Lord, stood in the waters of judgment before Israel passed over into the promised land. I have stood or been nailed to the cross and had the waters of judgment poured out on me as I am the presence of God. We talked a lot last week about Jesus has come to live with us. God, Emmanuel, Christ with us. The very presence of God has come to live with us was nailed to a cross, the waters of judgment were poured out on him, and now he stands on the other side in the promised land in heaven with an empty tomb with a stone in front of it and says, you know what this means? You know what this means? When your children ask, what does that stone mean? You tell them what it means. For the Lord your God dried up the judgment of his wrath for you until it was passed over and poured out on his son just as he did at the Red Sea, just as he did at Jordan, just as he has always done, he kept his promises so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord, that you may love the Lord, that you may know him and rest in him forever. See, it's not just about standing on the bank of some river in the Middle East. It's not just about looking around this morning and seeing all that God has done. It's about knowing that God has died for you to bring you into this eternal rest, to bring you into this promised land. That's what Joshua is pointing the people of Israel to when he sacks these stones. I can't prove it, but I'm guessing that as he put them there, he was thinking of the promise to Abraham. Through you, one day all nations will be blessed. He didn't know a King David. They didn't even know they were having a king yet. But Joshua probably knew there was a promise of God that's bigger than this land. 
This morning we look around at each other. We think of the empty tomb in Jerusalem. And we look at God our Father and we say, Dada, what's that mean? And he says, hey, guess what? I love you. God, as we look at this text this morning, may we be ever reminded that you have taken the judgment for us. That you have crossed into the waters and you have gone on and you have defeated sin and death itself for us. And you call us out this morning and you say, come with me. Trust in me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, I pray that this morning we would look around and be encouraged as we see the church to be reminded of your hand in all that we have done. To say that, Lord, we haven't done this. Only God could do this. Lord, I also pray that for some of us this morning, we would look for the first time and see the empty tomb and see that that means that, yes, you do love us. You did that to bring us into salvation, to take the judgment for us. Lord, may we place our trust in you. May we leave this place this morning remembering the 12 stones, but more importantly, remembering you, the rock of the church that stands in glory today and calls us to go to the ends of the earth so that all may know you. Because there is a tomb that is empty. Sin and death has been defeated. And that you love us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.